20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is up, Packer fans? Happy Victory Monday. Welcome into a all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. The Packers defeat the New Orleans Saints 18-17 in their home opener at Lambeau Field. An extremely improbable victory, not necessarily because of the two teams that were matching up, but because of the 17-0 deficit in you know middle of the fourth quarter. Because of all the injuries that they had, you know, both before the game, during the game, after the game, etc. And just looking really abysmal, basically, through three plus quarters of this game and just didn't look like they were going to have it in them. You know, you go back to that fourth and two to Patrick Taylor, like you're thinking they got to get a touchdown there if they even want a chance. They, they fail on the fourth and two, you know, Love and Patrick Taylor just not on the same page. And then it, it's like, all right, that's probably it. It's probably their last shot to, to have any realistic opportunity to get back in the game. And then to see that Green Bay team just rally and stay fo- positive and stay focused and win 18 to 17 at home, home opener, go to two and one on the season. Can't say that I necessarily saw that coming at that point in the game, especially like I said, after that, after that failed fourth down to Patrick Taylor, I thought maybe if they got, even if they got a field goal there, but especially if they got a touchdown on that drive, I'm like, all right, the Saints kind of let them hang around a little bit, but man, give Green Bay a ton of credit. We talk, we've talked a ton about, you know, the Packers and their youth and, you know, how are they going to respond to adversity and all those sort of things. And they come out with a game like this where everything goes wrong basically for three and a half quarters and yet here they are at the end of the game, finding a way to overcome. You could tell Matt LaFleur was emotional. He was emotional in the, uh, I think with Larry McCarron, you know, right after the the game. And when you talked to him, he was emotional in the locker room. If you saw that video on Packers.com. And then you also saw him a little bit, you know, I, I wouldn't say necessarily emotional, but he, he, you know, he basically said like, I'm, uh, you know, it's, I'm getting emotional up here when he was at the podium, but uh, you could tell that that win meant a lot to him. He said it over and over and over, like, all you can ask of your guys is to keep battling and keep fighting and keep battling and keep fighting, no matter what the score is, and they did that for him. And I'm sure as a coach, when you see guys continue to believe, and, you know, we can go back to when Ted Thompson took over and said, you know, we're going to draft Packer people and build the locker room the right way and things like that. You know, we can talk about the, the merits of that. We can talk about, you know, if that's served them well, there certainly is, you know, been, I think, less off the field stuff than a lot of other teams have had. But I think what it does get you is a, a locker room in, in these sort of situations. And obviously it's carried over from from Ted to, to Brian, you know, but a locker room in these sort of situations where you know, you don't have teams that give up. And Green Bay has done everything in their power to breed a winning culture. And it's not always going to result in a winning season. And we saw that last year, but I still go back to last year that Chicago Bear game, they're on the road. They had lost seven of eight games and they're down two scores going into the fourth quarter in Chicago. And like that was a total checkout moment. So many other teams would have checked out right then and there and said, it's just, it's not our season. They lost seven of eight games and they were in facing the worst team in football on the road, down two scores, fourth quarter. It's like, it's over. You're not going to the playoffs. Like, what do you like? And instead, 
They find a way to win in that fourth quarter. They win, I think, three more games after that, sort of improbably. And then unfortunately, they don't get the job done against Detroit in the final game. But that team kept fighting over and over. And we saw that same mentality at the end of this one where they just didn't give up. And it was really fun to watch. I mean, the whole game wasn't necessarily fun to watch. It had its moments, but most of those were bad moments in the first three and a half quarters. But it makes it all the more worth it when you see the effort and, and you know, the non- you know, just the, uh, you know, not giving up and, and keep fighting and everything Matt LaFleur preached in his post-game press conference, it made it all that much more worth it to see this team overcome, especially being young, especially being where they're at as a team and find a way to get to victory, especially from the, the jaws of defeat and go to two and one and now have an opportunity to go against the Lions uh, for the right to hold the uh, lead in the NFC North following four weeks of the season. So, we talked about, and specifically I talked about all off season of beware the roller coaster that's about to come. There are going to be high highs and there are going to be low lows. And we had a high high in Chicago. We saw a low low at the end of that Falcons game. We saw really low lows through the three quarters of this game and then extremely high highs in the fourth quarter against the Saints. To put that into perspective, Through the first seven quarters, first four quarters against Chicago, and then the next three quarters against Atlanta, the Packers were plus 30 in point differential in those seven quarters. Through the next four quarters, from the fourth quarter of the Atlanta game through the third quarter of the Saints game, they were outscored exactly 30 to nothing. So they were plus 30 in the first seven quarters, outscored 30 to nothing exactly in the next four quarters. And we're at a zero point differential that cost them the game against Atlanta during that run. And then they won the fourth quarter against New Orleans, 18, nothing. So one more time, first seven quarters plus 30, next four quarters minus 30, next quarter plus 18. We talk about the roller coaster. That's what you're going to get. And I think for the most part, this is where this team sort of deserves to be at two and one. You could make an argument that, you know, based on how they played you know, the majority of the game against Atlanta and New Orleans, maybe they could have lost both of those games. They certainly deserve the win against Chicago. And then I think you can make a strong argument that overall how they played in those next two day, two games, they deserved probably to be one and one in those two games, but deserve has nothing to do with it. I do think that they deserve a ton of credit when we do want to talk about what deserve has something to do with it. They deserve a ton of credit for fighting through the injuries they they had every right. We we talk about being down double digit, you know, your two scores, I should say, to Chicago a season ago in the fourth quarter and having the right to give up. It's hard not to look at that injury report. I mean, when I posted the inactives for the game on Twitter, every one of my replies were screwed. It's over. I'm done. I can't watch this crap. I'm so sick of the injuries. It was just a laundry list of like 200 plus responses of negativity and it's over. And I understand that. I understand the frustration with the injuries and everything. But remember that that human emotion that you're feeling when you see the inactive list, now imagine being a player on the team. You know it too. Matt LaFleur knew it. You're going in without a ton of guys. And we'll get to all those in just a moment. And then you suffered more injuries as the course of the game goes along. And you're down 17-0. And nothing's going your way. You had some drops. You had an interception. You had some bad penalties, a special teams touchdown, like nothing is going, it's just not your day. And they fought through it and they win the game. So those roller coasters of, you know, emotions and ups and downs, those are going to continue to happen. 
And the lows, like that four-quarter stretch from Atlanta to New Orleans, is going to feel pretty crappy. Outscored 30 to nothing in that time frame. But man, the high highs, a huge win against Chicago, a huge comeback against the Saints, and really 24-12 up in the third, to start the fourth quarter against the Falcons, those feel pretty darn good. So buckle in, it's going to be a bumpy ride through the remainder of the season, but you're going to get a competitive football team that's entertaining, and you're just going to have to live through some of the, the rough patches because they're just going to be there. It just is what it is at this point. Now, all of that aside, that's sort of the, in a nutshell, sort of takeaway from this game. This is the Jordan Love Day. It was billed as the Jordan Love Day, and it came to fruition as the Jordan Love Day. He's the guy that's coming out of the tunnel, the last person out, his first time being introduced to Lambeau Field as the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, his first start in a regular season game at Lambeau, really his first any significant playing time. I think Rob Domofsky put out the tweet. It was something like only like 11 of his pass attempts, 11 or 12, something like that in his regular season career up until this point were actually at Lambeau Field, all of those in garbage time. So this was his first opportunity to be the guy at Lambeau in the regular season and have him be announced coming out of the tunnel. You could tell that place was jacked up for him coming out. He was a captain, you know, you know, prior to the game or, you know, at the, the coin toss, he was one of the selected captains for the game. He's on the cover of the game day program for the day. Like this was Jordan Love Day. This was like, hello, Lambeau Field. This is your new franchise quarterback and we're going to celebrate it today. However, the NFL script writers don't always go along with, at least at first, what you're expecting the day to be. And you're like, you know, all right, this is sort of the inauguration of Jordan Love at Lambeau Field and everyone's excited and it's goosebumps with him coming out of the tunnel and everyone's pumped for the first home game of the season at Lambeau Field. And then it's just a wet fart for three plus quarters. And, you know, Love didn't play great. The receivers didn't help him out a ton. And it just looks like, all right, just going to be one of those days you hang with him and hopefully, you know, he's able to bounce back and, and maybe be better next time and, and against, you know, the Lions on Thursday. I mean, there's a point midway through the third quarter where just everything you're like, thank goodness there's a game on Thursday so they can just burn the tape on this one and just immediately go to the next game and sort of forget about Packers Saints. And then this is where it was truly in what I tweeted out as sort of a coming of age moment for Jordan Love in, in game number three of him being a legitimate starter for Green Bay. We saw some some pretty good stuff from Jordan through the first two weeks. Nothing perfect, still things he needs to work on. We saw more that he needs to work on in this game. I think, again, some, some missed open throws. The one to Musgrave, I know Musgrave took responsibility for it. I think Love took responsibility for it. Those are timing things that will come with time. But um, there's definitely some throws he'd like back. You have the the deep throw down the sideline where he's it's basically an arm punt at that point. It's not the most terrible uh, interception in the world. But I, I think definitely some plays that Jordan would like to have back in this one. But yet, when everything was down, your team's down 17-0. You have everyone that's hurt. I mean, the majority of your like elite level talent is on the sidelines, either pregame or during the game. And this team is looking for somebody who's going to pick them up. And it legitimately felt like Jordan Love with like eight and a half minutes left or whatever said, jump on my back. I got this. And to have that moment already for Jordan Love is, it's like, that's special. And I, I still will tell you, I don't know where Jordan Love ends up in the echelon of quarterbacks when he reaches the peak of his powers, I don't know. 
there's still a long way to go before we're crowning him or saying he's the the third in the line of amazing, you know, Hall of Fame quarterbacks or anything like that. We're nowhere near that point. But some of the special level throws that he's put on tape through three weeks, and then this sort of performance in the fourth quarter, that's special stuff. And that's character building stuff. That is leadership level stuff. And it literally, I'll say one more time, it looked like he like he just said, hey, this we're going to win this game and I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And he got you know helped out on that second drive a little bit by a couple big pass interference calls, no question about it. But still, like his running ability, I, you go back to the fourth down run. Fourth and goal from what, the two-ish yard line, one and a half, and they run the read option. And that's Demario Davis in the hole. That's one of the best linebackers in football that has Jordan dead to rights. And Jordan's a talented runner. We've seen that. There's no question about it. This is not Michael Vick. This is not Vince Young in his running prime at the University of Texas. This is not insert insane mobile quarterback, Randall Cunningham, whoever you want to put in there. That's not Jordan. So when Demario Davis has Jordan dead to rights in the hole to stop him short for a touchdown game over right then and there, if he does, the fact that Jordan is able to find a way, will a way to get into the end zone, that was a microcosm of what his day was like as a whole. He just did not give up and he kept punching and punching and punching until finally by hook or crook, they were up 18 to 17 and found their way into the, you know, into the record books with a win. And the day ended the way that it started. It started being about Jordan Love and him entering the tunnel with all this excitement. And it ended with him leaving the tunnel and hands raised, the hero of the day, getting the game ball at the end of the day from from Matt LaFleur, two game balls given out, one to Jordan, one to Rashawn Gary, who we'll talk about in just a moment. But that was a, a special performance in the fourth quarter by Jordan, and it deserves to be recognized as such. And I thought like through the day as a whole, like he was 22 of 44, 50% passing, 259 yards, one touchdown, one pick, nine for 39 on the ground with a touchdown and a two-point conversion uh, that he threw to Toure. That two-point conversion was an awesome play by him. He had the great ball to Romeo Dobbs for the touchdown. I thought throughout the day, like I didn't think his rhythm was necessarily great, but I didn't think the receivers did a ton to help him out. The offense had a butt ton of penalties. It was just a it was just a no rhythm day overall for the offense. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment as well. But when everything's on the line, and I, I said this in the post-game chat, I guarantee you that potential game-winning drive last week where they had the opportunity to go and, and win the game, I bet that ate Jordan alive this week. That he just he I guarantee you he's a, he's extremely competitive and he may not show it because he's so even keeled, but I guarantee you that ate away at him this week. And now he had the opportunity to go and lead his team down for a game-winning touchdown drive, and he was gonna do it. And he showed it off with his legs, with his passing. He did it without all of the huge players that were missing in this game. And it was a really, really impressive performance from Jordan Love in this one. So a lot to learn for Jordan. There, I don't. I think this might end up being his lowest graded game, maybe of the three so far would be my guess, just on first glance. Who knows? We'll see how it ends up uh, grading out. But when when it's in the clutch and the game's on the line and you can do that, that's a that's a special performance, even if the the plays that preceded it in the first three and a half quarters maybe didn't exactly add up to the rest of it. But in the clutch, that's what matters. And he pulled it off in, in really impressive fashion. All right, injuries in this one. I was I was lucky enough, and I'll brag about it because I never get predictions right. I predicted that the Packers would win 19 to 17. They win 18 to 17. I got pretty close on that, 
One of the things I definitely got wrong is that I said, I think there's a good chance we know if the Packers are going to win or lose this game at 10.30 a.m. Central Time. And I said, watch the inactives. If you get a bunch of those guys that are playing in this game, Green Bay's probably going to have a really good chance to win. If there are a bunch of those guys that are inactive, it may be a long day at the office. And it ended up kind of being a long day at the office, but one that ended with a W in the, or, you know, check in the win column, whatever you want to call it. But to see the inactive list of Christian Watson, Jair Alexander, Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, that is demoralizing. And Zane Anderson and Anthony Johnson Jr., the other two inactives, but that is a ton of players out due to injury. Devondre Campbell then goes out, I think, in the second quarter with an ankle injury. He does not return. Carrington Valentine goes out with a bicep injury. He does not return. Zach Tom leaves the uh, game. The only thing he missed were the, the three kneel downs at the end, uh, but he was uh, announced with a knee injury. I posted the play on my Twitter. If you want to see how he injured it, looks like he slipped right around midfield, right around the G, and it was kind of like an awkward landing, so didn't look great. He did play three plays after that and didn't look really too labored or anything, so hopefully it's not major, but anytime you hear knee and then he doesn't you know, come back in the game after that is a little bit concerning, but man, the, the injuries continue to pile up for Green Bay. Hopefully, fingers crossed, some of those were a little bit more precautionary and they're able to go Thursday on a short week and they just kind of gave them a little bit more time. Not sure what the thinking was there, if that was part of the process at all, but hopefully some of those guys are really close. Not sure what the prognosis is going to be on Campbell, Valentine, or Tom playing this week, but that injury list is going to be one to keep an eye on with some pretty significant, I mean, extremely significant names that are going to be on that list. And just makes the win that much more impressive when you're missing your left tackle, your left guard, your wide receiver one, your running back one, your corner one, your corner three, your corner four, and we can go on, your inside linebacker one. That's a lot of guys to be missing in the modern day NFL, and they still found a way to win it. So congrats to the guys for for finding a way to pull that off. So you guys really need to make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. Pizza is the ultimate game day food. There is no question about it. If there's one thing that rivals my love for the Green Bay Packers and my love of football, it's my love of pizza. And right now you can actually order online during their pizza pizza pregame. It's one hour before NFL games and you can get ready for football, fun, choose your favorite little Caesars pizza, pick the toppings that you crave. Me, this is going to sound weird. I know because you know uh, my pickiness with food. I love mushroom and onion. That is my absolute favorite pizza. I know it's probably not everyone else's. And of course, you know you love my food takes, but I love mushroom and onion pizza. I love it from Little Caesars. Either way, you win. And speaking of winning, everyone's going to score with convenient delivery. They also have their in-store pizza portal. So you can pick up, you can grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Trust me, you're going to love it. And, and if I have to recommend one thing for sure, have to get the crazy bread. The crazy bread is an absolute must. Enjoy it, enjoy your game day, and enjoy it more with Little Caesars. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. 
Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Fellas, are you running into some stubble trouble? Are you dreaming of that clean-shaven look but hate going through the hassle of a wet shave every other day? I know you are. That's why we've partnered with Manscaped. The brand for Below the Waist is coming to save that beautiful face. Yes, sir, Manscaped now has beard products and is going a step further with the launch of their brand new Handyman Electric Face Shaver. It's designed to give your face that smooth and chiseled finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Make sure to join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Head over to manscaped.com and use code PACKADAY for 20% off and free shipping. You may have noticed my recently cleanly shaved face over on the YouTube channel, and that perfect shave was brought to you by Manscaped's Handyman. The best part is I was able to get the exact shave I wanted without any of the usual mess of traditional shavers. I've also used their signature Beard Hedger, which is a juggernaut of fixing faces. You can trim your beard to 20 different lengths all in one guard, so using this thing is amazing and basically it's perfect. No matter what tool you use, you can't go wrong with Manscaped's line of products. Right now, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PACK a day at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using code packaday. That's P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y, no hyphens. Hit that refresh button with the handyman. All right, let's talk about the defense really quick because if we are going to be quick to criticize, and I say we as like a fan base in general, but if we're going to be quick to criticize Joe Barry when things go poorly and say fire Joe Barry, then we need to give him his flowers when the defense does what they're supposed to and, and really above and beyond. If you're allowing 10 points in a game on defense, you should win. Now, we could even argue that, hey, maybe they should have had that field goal at the end, and we'll talk about that in a second as well. But So maybe they should have allowed 13 points in this game. Okay, that is still a massive winning performance for the defense. And I think they had a a pretty good plan of attack. They were so much more stout against the run. 22 carries, 77 yards, 3.5 yard average for the Saints in this one, along of only 19 yards on the ground. They were... They filled the gaps better. They held their assignments better. They were stout at the point of attack. They were more physical. That was a much, much, much better performance on run defense this week than it was last week in Atlanta. They get four sacks on the day, three by Rashawn, one on Kenny. They don't get any turnovers, but I thought overall, you know, they they did their job above and beyond in this game and really did everything they could, everything they could to keep Green Bay in this until their offense finally got going. So I thought the game plan was good. I thought the execution was better. It does help when, you know, Rashawn Gary had a bad week in week two. He has three sacks in week three. When your star players play better, your game's going to go better. So a part of it is that too. But like, that's when we talk about like, hey, you know, it's not all on Joe Barry in week two. It's not all on him in this week too. And things go great. A lot of times, sometimes your stars just make plays. Rashawn Gary, three sacks. And it wasn't just that. I, I thought other people, you know, stepped up in this game. I thought Razul had a really good game at first glance. I thought McDuffie and um, you know uh, you know just their their linebacker platoon you know really stepped up in in Devondre Campbell's absence, Eric Wilson. Sorry, that was the name I was looking for. 
I just thought overall, like, you know, uh, Carrington, or sorry, sorry, Corey Ballantyne had to step up. He had a huge pass breakup towards the end of that game that was able to keep them in that game. And he's like, just called up off the practice squad. So it, it wasn't like Joe Barry had his full stack of cards either in this one, but he found a way to, to pick up the victory. And really this was mostly a defensive oriented win. I know all of the credit and praise is going to go to Jordan Love for what he did in the fourth quarter and understandably so. But the only reason Jordan had the opportunity to even put that comeback together was because the defense held him to 10 points through the entirety of this game. So really impressive uh, on that side of things. And I think Joe Barry deserves that credit. You would have liked to have seen Packers get the lead up by one. You would have liked to have seen the defense come up with a stop on their own. Like they wouldn't have needed the missed field goal. They just got the turnover, the stop, whatever. They did hold them to a, you know, 40 some plus yard field goal. It's not like they had a chip shot, but that, that's a, a field goal that's going to get made more often than not. And then the offense is going to have to go down with about a minute left down by two and try to get a game winning field goal. And then Anders will have to make it too. So, you know, I would have loved to have seen the defense just step up and get the stop, but they did what they could. They got him to a 40 plus yard field goal. They missed it. Green Bay gets the win overall an impressive day from the defense. I want to just shout out a couple of players, Rashawn Gary, obviously the three sacks, big time performance, such a Uh, A really cool story coming off the torn ACL. I know he was super emotional in the locker room getting the game ball as well. So massive, massive day for him. And then Darnell Savage. I've said it on the post-game show. I said it last week. I think I, and I, I, I think I talked about it with Mike Wall as well, but I think I've been fair with Darnell Savage, but certainly the last two years, you could say it was harsh criticism. I thought as a rookie, solid rookie season. Second year I thought was really, really good. Was so impressive with him in 2020. The last two years I thought were garbage from a you know safety position standpoint. He got benched last year, understandably so. He should have been benched last year. This year, so excited the way Darnell Savage is playing. And is, is it all pro worthy? No. Is it pro bowl worthy? No. Is it you know worthy of the first round pick that they spent on him? No. Is it good football? It is. He's playing so much faster, so much more physical. This is a night and day difference from Darnell Savage that we saw the past two years from what we've seen through the first few weeks of this season. This is a winning player in Darnell Savage. And I love that stuff. As I said on the post-game chat as well, like I want all of these players to do well. I'm going to be honest with what I see on tape. Sometimes I'll be wrong. Hopefully most often than more often than not, I'm right. But you know, I'm going to be as honest as I possibly can with my evaluations of what I see. I don't think I would be doing my job if I didn't do that, but I want all of them to do well. I would love nothing more than Darnell to go out and have an incredible season. And so far, so fun to see him playing so much faster with so much more confidence, so much more physicality. And I'm really, really excited by it. So kudos to him. I know it's a contract year and contract year sometimes will do that, but you still got to go out and perform. And so far he's done that this year. From an offensive standpoint, we clearly talked about the last you know few drives and going out and winning that football game. I thought overall this was an extremely disjointed performance. A ton of self-inflicted wounds and penalties, false starts, holding penalties, uh, legal formations, like just all of it. Just extremely lack of attention to detail and really kind of disappointing through the vast majority of this game. The run game was once again atrocious. A.J. Dillon, 11 carries, 33 yards. Uh, Wilson had two carries for six yards. Taylor had three carries for six yards. That's a total running back performance day of 16 carries for 45 yards. Abysmal. I did think the pass pro was fantastic throughout the course of the day. One sack on a blitz off the corner from uh, Alante Taylor, but 
Overall, I thought pass pro was really, really good. Credit Rasheed Walker and Royce Newman for their performances in pass protection. Again, I think the run blocking was terrible just about all across the line, but pass protection was incredible. Uh, You had the fourth down play call early in the game. I just wanted to touch base on that really quick. I get, you know, you're you're running a little bit of razzle-dazzle. You're going toss to the right with with Wilson. He throws it back to Love. Wicks, they release out late. It's going to be Love to Wicks. It's going to be not only a first down, but it's a big play. And when you are Matt LaFleur and you're down Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, you know the whole list. You're down David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Jair Alexander, etc. You're down a huge chunk of your team. You got to scheme some stuff up. You got to find some gutsy plays. You got to find some explosive plays. And it looked great week one when they throw all the way across the field for Aaron Jones and he takes it all the way up the sideline on that screen play. It looks great last week when they run the flea flicker and get the huge pass interference penalty on the first offensive play of the game. It doesn't look as great in this one. And why is that? It's because the play failed. And again, you can argue is is the best use of Emmanuel Wilson, him throwing across his body backwards to Jordan Love, who then has to throw to Dontavian Wicks, who then has to catch the, like, I, I understand that. I don't think any player on that play was asked to do something that they're not capable of. And Matt LaFleur put his players in a position to get a huge play by just executing and executing against something that I think every player on that play was capable of doing. The hard part is Emmanuel Wilson throwing back to Jordan Love. You know, Wilson underthrew it. Love didn't handle it super well. And then once he gets it, he slips, which is not his fault. I, th- I think if he just doesn't slip, it's probably a still an easy completion to Dontavian Wicks because they had so much time on the play. So I, I, I love the aggressiveness. I love the play call. He put his players in a position to succeed and they just couldn't execute it. Part of it due to dumb luck. And uh, again, the, the field being slippery and Jordan, like thankfully avoiding injury on that play because that it didn't look great, you know, how he had to throw that ball but you, you kind of have to hang with them a little bit. And if you like the flea flicker last week and you like the you know big roll to the, the left and throw all the way across your body to the right to Aaron Jones in week one, then you have to like understand that this was the, this was the shot play in this, this week's game and it just didn't work out. And it is what it is. It sucks, but I like the play call. I liked the uh, decision. I just didn't, you know, the execution wasn't there and sometimes it's going to happen. The fourth and two to Patrick Taylor, uh, like I mentioned earlier, that was kind of the disappointing one. We talked all last week about Bijan Robinson. He got matched up one-on-one with Devondre Campbell. You had man coverage and they just ran an easy slant and it's an easy first down on, I don't know, it was third and five or whatever it ended up being last week. But everyone was asking, how can that happen to the defense? And what like, and what happens this week? You get Patrick Taylor across from Demario Davis on the far side. Demario Davis is pushing 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, and you've got an easy slant play to take advantage of it, but they don't run a slant. And, you know, uh, Matt said it was designed to go to Musgrave on the other side. That, by the way, would not have worked either. It looked like Musgrave, he slipped, believe it or not, uh, didn't have his balance on the play. But um, on the right side, you know, he's got Patrick Taylor there. Now, how that was supposed to go, no, like, Jordan Love wouldn't really say, and Matt LaFleur really wouldn't say, you know, I I think Matt probably didn't want him necessarily maybe to throw to Patrick, but understood it because of the way that it was played. And I think, I don't think Patrick was ever expecting to get that ball. Doesn't mean you can't run the route. So just, you know, things that need to get cleaned up and, and chalk it up to that, but they'll get that figured out. Just like the weirdo bizarro, you know, fourth down stumble by Jordan Love last week. You're never going to see that again. I don't think we'll see a similar play like that to Patrick Taylor, but those are sort of the, some just some of the things that this young team is still going to have to get cleaned up. Meanwhile, on offense, let's let's talk AJ Dillon really quick. 
A.J. Dillon, after three games now, 39 carries, 107 yards, 2.7 yards per carry, zero touchdowns, three catches, 25 yards. His longest play in three games has been 14 yards. All right. He has 132 yards on 42 touches. 132 yards on 42 touches. Aaron Jones has 127 yards on 11 touches this season. So 31 fewer touches, 31 fewer touches for, what was it? Five less yards, five less yards on 31 less fewer touches. So I get, and I will say this about Dylan, the blocking for him has been crap. It has been craptastic. But there were a couple plays in this game. He did not read it well. He ran right into uh, you know, Josiah DeGuara on one play. There's another play where he cuts it inside and it's designed to go inside. But the, if he cuts it left, he has all, like daylight and he just doesn't see that stuff. So he also doesn't have the explosivity. He doesn't have the ability to make people miss like you know Aaron Jones does. And few do. Aaron Jones is a special player, but like you're, you're just looking for something a little bit different and it hasn't been A.J. Dillon. And the thought process was, hey, if A.J. can just you know be the guy and they can get him in a rhythm, he's going to be much better. That has not been the case. And I, do, I will say one more time, the run blocking has been atrocious and it's not acceptable on that side of things. And you have to give A.J. a little bit of accident forgiveness. But at some point, if you're a playmaker, you get the ball in your hands, you have to make plays. And A.J. Dillon has been unable to do that, and it continues to be a problem so far this season. I just want to go over this really quick just to show you the disjointedness of this offense. This was from the fourth quarter of the Falcons game to the middle of the third quarter of the Saints game. This is what the offense put out there through that time frame. And again, it does go back to the fourth quarter against the Falcons, but three plays, two yards punt, three plays, five yards punt, four plays, zero yards turnover on downs, four plays, eight yards turnover on downs, seven plays, 27 yards punt, six plays, 10 yards punt, 10 plays, 41 yards punt, kneel before halftime on just a one play, you know, kneel, three plays, negative four yards interception, three plays, one yard punt, 44 plays, 89 yards, zero points, 44 plays, 89 yards, basically two yards per play during that time frame with zero points. That's what the offense put for a huge stretch against both the Falcons and the Saints. Punt, punt, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, punt, 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 kneel before half, interception, punt. 44 plays, 89 yards, zero points. So just like last week, you can't just look at the fourth quarter and say, man, this Packers team sucks because they played pretty darn well at times through the first three quarters of that game. You can't just look at this one and be like, well, they won the game. Everything's great. There were three quarters of pretty crappy football from the Packers in this one. And it's great they got the win. That's the most important thing. It was a gutsy win and they deserve to celebrate in all of it. And we should all be happy. And I'm not trying to be a you know downer on what was a really fun, exciting end to a game, but we're, I'm always going to try to be realistic. And the realistic aspect of this is it was craptastic for a very long period of this game and going back to the fourth quarter against the Falcons. So I said it at the onset. That roller coaster is going to continue. There's going to be some stretches where you're like, is this an NFL team? And there's going to be other stretches where you're like, oh yeah, this is a team that could win playoff games. And there's going to be very few times where it's in the middle. It's just going to be the ups and downs of it. But I do want to point out there was some pretty disjointed offense for a huge chunk of four quarters against Atlanta in New Orleans. From a special team standpoint, 
can't allow the haymaker, cannot allow the huge punt return for a touchdown. Like this is not a team overall offensively and defensively that has the ability to overcome those plays more often than not. Great job by the defense to limit them to 10 points and the offense for having the comeback at the end. That seven point swing from a special team standpoint is going to be catastrophic for this team more often than not. And it can't happen. Rich Passaccia and that special teams last year got bailed out by Keyshawn Nixon and him all of a sudden being like an insane returner. And reminder, they had Amari Rogers returning ahead of Keyshawn Nixon before Amari Rogers basically cut himself by playing so poorly. So there's some positives. Anders Carlson on special teams has been great so far. He's been perfect on the year. Da- you know, Daniel Whalen has had some really nice punts. So like there's some positives to take away from the special teams, but you can't allow the haymaker like that. That those are things that this team has to find a way to avoid moving forward. All right. Want to talk about that two-point conversion decision really, really quickly. Not really quickly, but more in detail because it's such a huge aspect of that game and Green Bay probably doesn't win without it. There's a lot of risk involved with, with that sort of decision for Matt LaFleur because it's untraditional. Think of it this way. What happens if Green Bay cuts the lead to eight? They cut the lead to eight. They miss the two-point conversion on the first one. It's an eight-point lead. Everything happens the same way. They go down again. They score the touchdown. This time they go down to, they try to score the two-point conversion to tie, but they don't get it. And now they're down by two. And now the Saints, you know, basically, you know, just take over and, and maybe they run out the clock that way or whatever the case may be. But there's a world in which Green Bay maybe loses by two points because they chased two-point conversions rather than just kicking the extra points. And if that happened, everyone would be dragging Matt LaFleur over the coals for making that decision and why are you chasing two-point conversions and yada, yada, yada. So there is risk in that from an optics standpoint if that doesn't go according to plan. But analytically, that is a billion percent the right call. So much so that when the Packers were two plays out before they even scored that touchdown, I said, if I tweeted it out, you can check it. If the Packers score a touchdown here, expect them to go for two, mostly because they've done it in the past when they've been in that situation, but also because the Packers tend to be an analytically driven team when it comes to those decisions. Like I said, it is a billion percent the right call analytically. So why is that? Why is it the right decision to go for two in that situation when you are, you know, you just scored a touchdown. It's a 14 point game. You score six, you're down by eight. Logic would tell you, you kick the extra point to go down by seven. You score another touchdown. You kick the extra point. You tie the game. That's the logic in that situation. But here is why it makes sense the other way. First and foremost, if you play it that first way, score a touchdown, extra point, score a touchdown, extra point, you are tied at the end of regulation. If you're tied at the end of regulation, overtime is a coin flip and maybe quite literally a coin flip because you might not even get the ball. The last, you know, what was it? The the past, what, Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, whatever it is, the team that got the ball, got, won the coin toss and went right down and scored game over. I know there's a game in week two. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I know there was one. But you might literally just lose the game off the coin toss. So you are at risk of losing via chance. You could end up with a tie in that scenario, but your your odds of winning go down simply because overtime is a, a crapshoot. And again, you might not even get the ball. So you're trying to win in regulation. And how this also factors in is because with going for two, you have the oppor- a better opportunity to win in regulation. But here's the simplest thinking of it. Mathematically, you are more likely to make one of every two two-point conversions than you are to make two extra points. So it's a, like with, it, with the extra points being backed up, 
there is a, you know, the, the odds of making an extra point have gone down over, over, you know, since they've moved it back. And it's right around 50% to actually go for two and make it like the two point conversions right around 50%. So the thinking is you're going to get one of the two, if not this first one, you're going to get the second one. And of course it's never, you know, quite that easy, but that's the mathematical thinking on it is mathematically, you're likely to get one of the two two two-point conversions. In fact, you're more likely to get one of those two than you actually are to make both extra points. So if you know you have to get two touchdowns anyway, here's the, here's the bonus. Mathematically, you put yourself in a better situation to get two points because you know you got to get two touchdowns and mathematically you're better off. The odds are better that you'll get one two-point conversion than two extra points. And here's the kicker. If you get the two-point conversion on the first one, which we saw, now you're down six. And if you do get that other touchdown, now you can just kick the extra point and you are ahead, which is exactly what happened in this game. So a massive credit to Matt LaFleur for listening to his analytics staff. He did mention after the game that I forget the name of the person that's the head of his analytics staff, but he was yelling in his ear, go for two, go for two, go for two. But it takes the coach to have the you know, to the guts and the, you know, ability to say, yeah, we're going to go for two. And he did it. So it's the right move. It's a hundred percent, the right call. It's one of the first times I've actually seen it work where they get the two and the first one and then kick the, you know, get another touchdown, kick the extra point and actually win the game. But it's the right move. And, uh, was, it was awesome to see it play out because it's the right move analytically. And sometimes this stuff doesn't always play out the way you expect it to, but in this case it did. And it was a massive difference maker. They just kicked the two extra points and this game goes to overtime. So I guess, you know, Green Bay would have got the ball back with a minute left and they could have gone down and score. So who knows the butterfly effect afterwards of what could have potentially happened, but it was the right move and uh, it, it paid off in a massive way. Last couple things. I, I think this is an incredible character win for this young team. They found a way to win, just like they kind of found a way to lose in week two. It's the antithesis of that, the exact opposite. They found a way to win in this one. And especially when you can do that a week later, when everything went wrong at the end of that fourth quarter against Atlanta, and you could get down on yourself, especially when you're down 17 nothing going into a fourth quarter, to have the character, the, to look adversity in the face and say, F you, we're going to win this game tip of the cap to this young team and the veterans on the team for finding a way to win and a a huge shout out to Jordan Love for what he was able to do in that fourth quarter. And it's really hard not to think of some of the possibilities for this team if they were actually 100% healthy. Imagine what this offense looks like. We've seen some of the stuff from Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave from, you know, Dontavian Wicks and, you know, just this entire offense, Romeo Dobbs again in this game, we've seen some of the fun stuff. Now imagine they've got a David Bakhtiari and an Elton Jenkins, and they've got Aaron Jones and Christian Watson. It's hard not to get excited about what this offense could be if they actually have their full arsenal of weapons. And hopefully that day comes sooner rather than later. And it's not just an imaginary thought of like what this team could be, because I think it could be really, really fun if they could actually get all of those weapons and just everyone healthy all at the same time. Meanwhile, Bears and Vikings both lose. They are both 0-3 on the season. Nightmare, nightmare situation for what's going on in Chicago. Just whew, beyond brutal. However, they might be online for like the top two picks in the draft. So that's another story for another day. Vikings 0-3 as well. A really tough loss at the hands of the Chargers. So their season, not off to a great start either. The Lions get the win over the Falcons. And, uh, you know, that's a, a team obviously Green Bay couldn't beat a week ago. So Now Green Bay and Detroit will match up on Thursday Night Football this week. Should be a really, really fun matchup. Both teams two and one, and it will be for the early control of the NFC North and could be a very important tiebreaker at the end of the year. So really looking forward to that game. 
That's kind of it for my thoughts. Uh, shout out to new member Adam Hansen. If you haven't checked out Packaday Podcast memberships yet, make sure to do so. Our Hall of Fame members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wild, Shea Bradad, Arnaldo Espinoza, Boom Handle, and Jennifer Wright. All you have to do is click the join button below if you're on YouTube and you can check out all of the different tiers for Packaday Podcast YouTube memberships. Appreciate all of you who have already joined. And if you're thinking about it, why not? Go ahead, do it. You'll be amazing and I'll appreciate you a ton. If you can't, maybe just subscribe, tell a friend about the show, go on Apple Podcasts, give it a five-star review. Appreciate all of your support a ton. You guys are nothing but amazing. This is what it's all about. This is why we do this. This is why we geek out. It's not always pretty. It's not always sexy. Sometimes you're down 17, nothing and everything's going to crap and everyone's hurt and you still find a way to come back and win at the hands of your young, inexperienced, fourth time starting quarterback in the NFL, Jordan Love. What a day. What a moment. I think one that a lot of us are going to remember. It started off the day being about Jordan Love, the captain, the program, the coming out of the tunnel, and it ended being a day about Jordan Love as well. Fun, fun stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed this show. I will see you guys right back here tomorrow with an all new episode. Don't miss it. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.